Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and as always, we've got a great show for you. I'm uh, going to be starting things off here in just a moment with uh, another interesting discussion on the Coach's Corner panel, and I've got two uh, good friends and, and great uh, golf professionals here joining me tonight, and I'll introduce you to both of them here in just a minute. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my uh, good friend and special guest, Tim Kramer. He is a, the president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, LLC, uh, and he's going to be joining. He's been on the show both on the Coach's Corner panel and also as a special guest. And I haven't had a chance to chat with him for a little while, so I invited him back here uh, not too long ago, and he agreed to uh, clear his schedule and, and come on, and we'll have a great discussion in the second half. But in the meantime, let remind uh, everybody that we are live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, best way to find us, go to blogtalkradio.com, uh, and in the search key, just type Golf Talk Live, and uh, that will bring you front and center during the live broadcast. For some reason, if you can't join us live, not to worry, just scroll down that link uh, again, it's blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and go to the on demand section. And that's where all of the shows, including tonight's, will be there uh, in their entirety. Of course, you can listen to the recorded version uh, whenever it's convenient for you guys. Um, another, uh, some other great ways to tune into the program as well is you can go to uh, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and now TalkStreamLive.com. Uh, and also, you can actually. Uh, catch the show under the podcast section at CastBox as well, uh, both for the show and for the Tuesday morning shows, uh, Women of Golf, where, of course, my good friend and co-host LPJ professional Cindy Miller joins me every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 on the same network. So make sure you check them out. Always love to hear from you. You're welcome to call into the show anytime during our live Thursday evening broadcast of Golf Talk Live. The number to call is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can certainly email any questions or comments to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And, of course, I update in all uh, of the main social media sites, uh, Facebook, of course, uh, Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO, and, of course, on LinkedIn.com. All right, as I mentioned, i got two great uh, gentlemen joining me, and I'm going to introduce both of them, and then I'll bring them on uh, for the Coach's Corner panel segment tonight, and we'll have a great discussion. First up, of course, uh, is John Decker. He's a teacher professional at the New Albany uh, Country Club. Uh, back in 2015, he was named the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year, and prior to that, he was a head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, where he worked under uh, a couple of great top 100 instructors, Fred Griffin and, of course, the late Phil Rogers. Uh, he's also authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, has an accompanying Bible study with that as well. Uh, he's a motivational speaker and a good friend. Uh, also rounding out the panel is Pete Buchanan, also a good friend. He's the founder, director, and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And my good friend Pete has been teaching this great game 
to all of you out there for over the last 30 years. So, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank you, Ted. Ted, good to be here. All right, guys, as always, thank you for, for joining me, and I appreciate it. A um, couple things, let me before we get into the discussion tonight, uh, did anybody notice or did anybody watch uh, the other night on the Golf Channel the um, Payne Stewart Awards? Or awards, should I say? Uh, I did not. The, it was actually good, uh, just for those of you tuning into the show, uh, Bernhard Langer was the recipient for this year, and of course they – uh, you know, talked about uh, his career and, and all the other uh, good things. And that very well deserved. I, I really like Bernard Langer. He, of course, he's now uh, very predominant out in the Champions Tour. But, I mean, it's just incredible what this man has done. And actually, when I say uh, underrated, uh, he certainly has the accolades. Um, but you don't really see him featured as much. But uh, it was just a very good uh, – if you ever get a chance um, to go onto their um, the Golf Channel's website – uh, and look at some of the footage in that. Uh, he gave a very uh, compelling speech and uh, was certainly very humbled by it. And obviously he is a man of faith as well, uh, which I know we all are. And uh, he, he made no bones about uh, expressing that throughout the evening on several occasions, including uh, a follow-up interview uh, by some of the reporters. So um, anyways, congratulations to Bernard Langer. All right, uh, guys, what we're going to do here, we're going to talk about um, – some of the traits uh, I've, I've singled out five traits that every great golfer must possess. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but I'm going to pose a couple of questions to both of you. And John, I'm going to let you go first this time. Um, these are a couple of questions that I posed uh, to the panel last week. And there's a reason why I want to do it again this week. And I'll explain here in just a second. Um, and what I'm looking for just to clarify in the answer is not specifically uh, a strategy or, or um, necessarily specifics, but how you would, would sort of want to project yourself. And, and you'll understand when I pose the question. So uh, I, I know both of you are, are, uh, have very unique gifts and talents. Um, however, setting aside all of your accolades and credentials that you may possess as golf professionals, if I was coming to you uh, as a potential new student, how would you sell yourself to me? Um, John, you're going to go first and then Pete. Well, the first thing that I would do is um, in, in trying to sell myself to you is I would try to, as, as tactfully as I can, try to find out some information about you uh, to, to kind of know mm -hmm. uh, what, what road to go down. Uh, for instance, you know, if you're uh, uh, someone in their uh, maybe uh, teenage years or early 20s or 30s, and, and I feel like that, you know, video it, or, and launch monitors and things like that are going to be very important to you, then I'm going to try to highlight that part of my, of my personal career and what I do with videos and what I do with, in those areas with technology. Um, if you're someone maybe mm -hmm. middle-aged or older uh, where that may not be uh, resonate with you, uh, then I'm going to um, try to, to talk about more about five years of teaching, talk about the, the experiences I had, uh, you know, working with tour players that, that you would know, uh, like Payne Stewart or Seve Ballesteros or people like that, the people that I got to be around, um, because a lot of times the younger people don't even know who those, those men are. So I, I think that's right. what I try to do is, is get to know you first, um, you know, just in some simple questions um, and just try to be myself more than anything. 
And then I, I, I want to get those things across without, without selling it too hard. Uh, so I want the person to feel like that they're, I'm there for them, and it's not them being there to, to listen to all my accolades. I guess that's the way I would put it. Right. Great answer. Um, the reason why I posed the question in the manner that I did, guys, and, and Pete, I'm going to let you uh, go here. And, 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 and as I said to, to the panel last week, um, I, I certainly mean no disrespect in posing the question in this manner. Uh, you guys have, have certainly earned every accolade that you have and, and many more. But I, I talked to a few different people who just, you know, uh, we'll call them Joe Public. I won't give out specific names. And I asked them, I said, when you, if you were looking for an instructor, what are some of the things that you're looking for? You know, when you want to work with somebody, maybe it might be just simply taking a few lessons. It might be looking for some sort of a coaching program. One of the, the, the interesting comments that was made by this particular group that I was talking with was that as much as they understand the many different certifications and accolades, and certainly they want to make sure they're dealing with reputable golf professionals, but a lot of these accolades don't mean anything to them in the sense that they don't understand because they're not in the industry. They don't understand what, uh, you know, TPI certified might be as an example. Uh, and, and some might do, but a lot of people don't. So to them, it doesn't really resonate the same as it would for somebody like us in the golf profession. So the reason I want to pose that question is I want people that are tuning into the show for them to say, okay, if I'm looking for an instructor, yes, those different accolades certainly are important to take note of, but they're not the biggest priority. What I want to make sure is how am I going to interact with this individual? What does this person, how are they going to be approaching me and how are they going to be interacting with me and dealing with me? So Pete, based on that, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Uh, again, not meaning any disrespect in, in your accolades, but if you were, if I was coming to you and saying, I'm interested in maybe working with you, what can you do or what are you going to likely uh, do as far as selling yourself to me? Well, right off the bat, I can tell you, I mean, I don't even mention any of the accolades. The, the first thing, you know, like John said, I'm trying to do is I want to get to know you and what your goals and aspirations are and what you're looking for. So rather than me at the start trying to sell myself to you, I want to find out from you what you're interested in. At what level do you play? How much right. do you play? Um, what do you want to learn? How do you want to learn? What have you learned? And what are the, the, the past things you've done with your golf game to get you to where you are now? And how you know, often have you taken lessons? Uh, I don't need to know who from. I just want to know how often you've taken them and, and how has that instruction uh, helped or not helped your game? And exactly what are you looking for from where you are now to where you want to go? So I always like to pose a question to say, look, it's, it's 12 months from now. And I want you to look back at the past year and you've gotten your golf game to a pretty good level. As you look back, what happened? What do you see happened? And so try to get them to, to look back in that type of, of deal and so they can start to understand. And then I'll start to fill in the blank and say, well, these are the things that are going to need to happen if this is where you want to go. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, here are the things that I've done in the past to help you achieve those goals. And here are some of the people, the things that I've done. And then I can start to work in if there's, if there's anything past experience with golf schools and that, that type of thing I can bring in there. Sure. But I'm not really trying to, to sell myself. What I'm really trying to do is 
is to sell them on themselves, and I'm going to help them along the journey. That's really what I'm trying to do, and then get them to understand that I'm going to help them to understand exactly what's going on so there's no doubt as to what's happening when they're practicing. So they not only know what the incorrect is, they're going to know how to correct it, and so that when I'm not around, they know what to do. So I'm going to teach them to teach themselves. So that's sort of how I approach every new person that I get. I'm not really uh, trying to sell myself in, in, a, in a roundabout way. I sort of do, but it's not a, sure. it's not a bold you know, sell. I just want to find out from them. Uh, you know, I just did it. I had, uh, fortunately, the guy was a friend of mine. I, we used to play wiffle ball together growing up back home, but he, he did from in town and saw <laughs> me and, and wanted to get started. So that's the first thing I did. I mean, I, I talked to him as if I didn't really know who he was. And just asked him, you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And so if once I know what your goals and, and aspirations are, now we can put forth a plan to go get them. Well said, uh, Pete. Um, again, the, the purpose of really this exercise, guys, in, in, in this part of the discussion is, and I, I know you guys know this, and I know uh, as, as they did last week, they, they all understand this. But I'm trying to help the, the audience understand that our purpose as golf instructors is to look at your situation, current, past, present, and even future uh, potential, and find a solution that's going to best help you navigate to your long-term and even short-term goals. Because ultimately um, – that's what we want to do is we want to find out as you, as you both really have essentially pointed out is we want to find out what your goals are um, and, and how we're going to sort of formulate a game plan to help you achieve those goals. And I I think, and and the reason why I I wanted to sort of remove the accolades in in the discussion is because as I said, I've talked to people uh, from time to time about different things. And one of the things that they find very puzzling, and again, they understand that the importance of, of certainly pointing out, um, but they've been on websites or they've uh, visited forums or what have you on social media, and they'll come across uh, professionals, and it will be literally bullet point after bullet point for um, you know half a page of every accomplishment they've had. And uh, again, not to take away from that, but it doesn't really tell the individual what that teacher or that coach is going to do for them. Um, they're recognized within the industry, and again, it's it's you know they they understand that and appreciate that, but it doesn't really come across, um, especially when they don't understand what all of that is. So um, I think as instructors, as you both pointed out, you know, really it's about assessing the individual needs of the person that we're potentially going to be working with and why they should come and work with us. Um, these are things that we're going to do, or this is something that I'm going to do, or you're going to do uh, to help them along in their journey be- to becoming a better uh, golfer, or um, you know, maybe just have more fun. It, it, again, that's what the whole uh, assessment process is going to be. Um, great answers, guys. And there is, really is no right or wrong answer in a case like this, but I, I just wanted to get a sense from some of the, the uh, panelists over the uh, last week and this week, just how they would go about doing that if they sort of had some of the, uh, the again, the accolades and credentials sort of removed from the discussion. So uh, great job. Um, Pete, I'm going to bounce it back to you. Uh, very simple question on this one. Um, 
in your opinion, what is the most important factor in being a good teacher or slash coach? You have to be able to listen. To me, that's number one. Um, you know, a lot of times we can discuss and say things to the student, um, but I think for the most part, you got to take a step back and listen to them and listen to what they need and what they want. And not that all their answers are going to be correct, but you need to take the time to listen to not only your student, but also you need to listen to your peers. Um, I think for so many of us to get to where we have gotten with our, our golf instruction and our development, it was the ability to listen to what somebody else was was saying and, and to be able to hear them. I, my dad used to say all the time, your kids are listening, but I don't think you hear me. Um, but it's, it's <laughs> that's when we were in trouble. But I mean, yeah. it's, um, I mean, you, yeah. you have to be able to listen. And, and secondly, you have to be able to communicate. Uh, those to me are two huge things, not only be able to listen to what's going on, but also to be able to communicate a message and be able to talk uh, in, in any way, shape or form to whoever's standing in front of you. I don't necessarily think if you have, you know, somebody who's got a PhD, you have to talk in that language, but you have to be able to communicate a message. So I think the ability to listen and the ability to communicate to me are, are, are two of, that are, that are really important. And as you know, I got to spend some time with John Jacobs and, and um, what a mm-hmm. terrific communicator he was um, just to be able to listen to him talk to the students uh, was just golden. And it was just amazing to watch him go from, level to level to level and and just be able to pick it up and just move right along from an 18 to a beginner to a two handicap was amazing. So I I think those two things are very important. Yep. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, John, what about you? Um, I imagine on some level you concur as well, uh, but any other thoughts that you might have as as far as what you think are uh, the most important factors in being a good teacher or coach? Well, I think Pete, you know, nailed it uh, pretty much. I mean, obviously, listening is very important. Um, I found uh, one of the things, and the thing that really popped in my head when you asked the question to him, was you have to have the ability to say the same thing a lot of different ways. And that kind of goes along with what, you know, you could have an engineer for your first lesson, and then you could have a housewife for your second lesson, and you could have a, a, a child a junior golfer for your third lesson, and you have to be able to really get across the same information but a lot of different ways and resonate with that. And And I think that that, to me, is the what I enjoy most about teaching is the creativity of being able to communicate with people. If I had to sit there and say the same thing all day long, I would, I would, I would not want to be a teacher. I love the ability to be able to uh, pre- whether it's in presentation, whether it's in storytelling, whether it's in, uh, you know, simple explanations, whether it's in, uh, you know, a, a demonstration, whatever it is, um, I think that th- that to me is what great teachers have the ability to do is they have the ability to get their message across to, to people of all different abilities, all different levels, um, and and they do it effectively. And that's what I'm always striving for. And I'm um, you know, because it's challenging at times because sometimes you, you meet people that maybe you'd, you wouldn't necessarily click with. You know, maybe it's somebody that you wouldn't hang out with on a regular basis. And what you said to that lesson before, 
you're trying to say the same thing and it's not resonating. So you've got to go into your, all right, now how am I going to approach this? How this, this person thinks differently. And I've got to go about this a different way. And that to me is what is, can be difficult, but really is what I love most about teaching. Yeah. A great answer as well. Um, you know, guys, what I found, and again, this comes with experience. This is something that, uh, again, uh, I say this respectfully to, to my fellow golf professionals that might be listening into the show, and, and of course to both of you. Um, you know, certifications are great, but I think that experience trumps all the certifications because as you develop and hone your skills as a golf professional um, along the way, you learn different things just like what you are both talking about, and that is to communicate with the students. Um, you know, John, as you pointed out, you know, you might be speaking with one student and it might resonate very well, and you try the same, you know, sort of verbiage with the next person that comes along for, for the next lesson, and they're scratching their head wondering what you're talking about. And it may be something simple that the second student might be uh, might uh, be more receptive to visual cues as opposed to, to verbal cues. So being able to adapt like that, sometimes even on the fly, uh, is, is critical to be a, a good instructor, a good teacher. And I think this is why uh, as much as it's great when we see a lot of these books and instructional uh, products that are out there, um, sometimes those products are only hitting part of the market, um, whether it be visual or whether it be uh, verbal communications, because everybody has different learning uh, abilities and learning styles. So it's very critical that, that we continue to adapt as instructors and be able to, um, you know, look at, at each individual as an individual and address their needs and concerns um, as best we can, but not sort of draw a blanket and I think sometimes, um, you know, people can do that as a general rule. So I think w what you guys are talking about is, is spot on. All right, let's, uh, John, take a deep breath. I'm going to come back to you. Um, okay. We're going to move on to five traits every great golfer must possess. And I'm going to pose the, uh, each of the traits out there, and I want to get your thoughts. Um, number one, and, and doesn't necessarily have to be the most important, but uh, number one, is uh, what's considered one of the, the top traits is being confident, almost bordering on cocky. Uh, do you agree with that to be a great player that you, you have to obviously be confident, but you also have to have a, a certain amount of cockiness as well? Uh, is that a true statement, do you think? And if so, why would you say? Well, I love the line that Bob Rotella in Golf Is My Life, or Go Go uh, Golf Is Not a Game of Perfect is uh, he said you want to have a conservative game plan and a cocky swing. And um, I, I think that that's a, a great way to, uh, to, to approach golf is you want to be confident in what you're doing. I always tell my students, I would rather you hit a shot that, you, that, that I might be looking at and go, what is this guy trying to do? He's trying to hit it. You know, it, it might be a shot that, that I don't think is the right shot, but if he believes he can hit it, I would rather him hit a shot that he believes that he can hit than to hit a shot that where he's uh, thinking about he might be playing the right shot that I like, but he's thinking about his golf swing or he's thinking about uh, the negatives or thinking about the water or whatever it is. So I think you have to have confidence in any, you know, the whether it's 
whether you're shooting basketball or whether you're playing golf, you, you certainly have to be confident. Whether it's cocky or confident, that's uh, up for discussion. But, um, you know, that's, I think that that's what great players believe that they can hit the shot. So if that's what you're talking about, then, yes, that is important. Yeah. Yeah, and, and let me just to, to expand a little bit. You know, Tiger Woods is a great example of that. Tiger Woods uh, certainly, uh, you know, it, some people might argue that in, in his game right now, um, but a lot of people use the word actually not so much cocky but more arrogant uh, in his demeanor because when he was uh, first coming out on tour, he had a lot of confidence in his game and his ability. He knew what he could do. He knew what, when he had a certain club in his hand, what he was going to be able to accomplish with that and what shots he could pull off with that club. You know, when he uh, used to, uh, you know, pull out his, his two iron and hit a stinger shot off the tee and be straight down the middle of the fairway, he did that with confidence on every single time uh, that it was required. And so it, it, it was a certain amount of cockiness to a point, but it wasn't, uh, a arrogance, really. I mean, it was perceived by that by some, but I mean, that's you know, uh, again, typical fodder that the media and and uh, others might uh, inject in it. But really, it was a confidence in his game and his ability. He knew what he could do. Um, Pete, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, again, confidence, sort of bordering on that cocky, is is an important trait uh, for an accomplished player? Oh, without question. You know, I echo what John said. I mean, you know, you have to be confident in what's going on out there in order to play well. Um, confident in not only your abilities, but, you know, just yourself in general. Um, you know, you have to believe in yourself. And, you know, I, I tell a lot of the guys that, that are out there playing, I said, you know, once you stop believing, I mean, you know, if you have a good sound mind, it can make up for the, for the lack of, you know, some of the ability you have in your game. You know, being confident can, can bring you through that. Because uh, sometimes you may not be swinging very well, but if you're confident and you're you're moving ahead and believing in yourself, you can move right along. And you know, I, I do believe it's it should be a little bit edgy or a little bit, you know, arrogant. I mean, Tiger, as you mentioned, I mean, six mm-hmm. straight USGA championships. I think he could back it up. Um, you know, even before he yeah. got out on tour. I mean, who else? <laughs> who else has done that? Nobody. Um, so, and I love that right. interview with Curtis Strange when he says to him, you know, talking about winning, he says, oh, you'll learn. I just love it. And then, you know, he goes out and starts winning all over the place. So, you know, it, it's <laughs> a little bit arrogant, um, you know, and I think that that arrogance is pretty good. I mean, I mean, guys used to ask me, you know, when you played in tournaments, I said, I was very cordial on the first tee, but in the back of my mind, I was shaking their hand saying, good luck. But, and you know, I was saying to myself, I'm going to kick your rear end today too. So, you know, good luck, but I'm coming after you. So, um, you know, and that was right. just my way of, of, of firing myself up to get ready to go. I mean, I was very nice, but, you know, uh, when I was talking to him, but, you know, I said, Let, game on, let's go. So I, I think you do have to have a little bit of edginess to yourself. I think it helps. Yeah, yeah, I would agree as well. And, and I think also, too, uh, what worked very effectively very early on for Tiger, um, as an example, was, you know, that, that – you know, sort of super confidence and, and, you know, cockiness, arrogance, however you want to phrase it, became a very intimidating factor. Uh, I mean, I can remember after the first few tournaments, and particularly when he won uh, his first uh, uh, PJ event, and then he went on to win, you know, uh, sort of quick step, won the, the 1997 Masters. Um, it clammed a lot of people up. I mean, you know, he came out there and he backed it up, as you said, Pete, 
um, even before he got on tour, but he definitely did it when he came out, and it was amazing. He shut a lot of guys up. I mean, they were scratching their head. They didn't know how to take it. Um, and, you know, it wasn't Absolutely. until, you know, a couple of seasons in uh, when, you know, somebody was able to actually beat him that it sort of shifted, that Paramount sort of shifted again, and people said, okay, uh, he's not – or he is infallible, you know, we can come after him. You know, Hal Sutton, you know, tried to get into his head uh, many times out there when, when Hal was still out playing on the, on the regular tour. And, you know, even he said, I know there's a way to beat this guy. And, uh, you know, I've just got to find the way to beat him. And, uh, and you know, he went after him. Um, John, I want to go back to you. Uh, this one's kind of an interesting uh, trait, but, um, and I'm going to, sort of expand a little bit just so you understand exactly what I'm talking about, but short-term memory loss. Uh, we're not talking about forgetting what you had for lunch yesterday, but uh, we're, we're talking more about uh, obviously maybe you've had a, a bad hole or a, uh, a string of, of uh, bad holes in a tournament, let's say as an example. Obviously, you're wanting to forget that, the importance of that. Would you consider that to be a good trait and an important trait for some of your better players. No, what was the question again? <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's uh, short. A, no, <laughs> uh, that's I couldn't resist. I was like, that, he said, that's too easy of a joke. I got to throw that in. I think that's very important. Um, you know, I always, uh, when I speak to uh, like first tee and groups like that, um, I always talk about the golf ball. And I, I say, you know, this is, I said, you know, the most important shot in your life will be the next shot that you hit. And I said, you know, yesterday is a mystery. Or yesterday, excuse me, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift from God, and that's why we call it the present. And if I could have learned that concept when I was younger, I would have been a lot better player because I think that is the most important trait of that, that the great players have. It's what the great cornerbacks have in football. It's what the great three-point shooters have in basketball. Is if they miss, they forget about it and they go to the next shot. They go to, and and that is a very difficult thing. And you can't tell. You could line up a hundred juniors in front of me, or a hundred lady players, or a hundred tour players, and I can't look at them and say, well, he's got it, or she's got it, or he's got it. It's something that you you observe by watching players when they play on the golf course and it's very difficult skill and we all get upset we all we all hit shots where we get frustrated and and you know um, I mean there's been so many times where I was like I'm done with this I'm done playing and and then the next day I'm out there you know (laughs) trying again so um, that ability is so important because the bounce back it only matters if you can do it during the round it doesn't matter after the round you know, you, you can say, well, forget about it. you got to be able to forget about that bad shot during the round, and that, to me, is maturity. Uh, it's sometimes a, a, a poise. Uh, some people have it naturally. Some people don't. Some people have to be taught how to do it, um, and it's it's something that's a, it's a gift that, that um, I think is very important in, in really learning how to go low, and that's what the great – I think that's – I think Phil Mickelson – is the epitome of that because that guy will try any shot. He doesn't care. And, and he, he plays with uh, 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 um, like a reckless abandon 
And if he hits the ball in the water, he's still the next shot's going to go. He's going to fire at the pin on the next shot. He's not going to give in. And um, I think that that's a, a unique ability. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy watching him play golf, because that's not my personality. But I always like to watch people who can do things that I can't because I try to learn from them. So I think he would be an example of someone that has a short-term memory. Yeah, and I think you could also add on there the first uh, trait, uh, uh, confidence and and bordering on cocky with Phil as well. I think Phil uh, can be a very aggressive player, uh, you know, trying some shots sometimes when most would probably give up, as you suggested, you know, especially after, you know, hitting a shot in the water. Um, some might say, well, you know, I need to play it safe now in order to save par or whatever the situation is. And Phil's like, no, uh, I'm going to do this because I know I can do it. And that's where the confidence comes in. Pete, short-term, yeah, short-term memory. Um, I know we're getting a little forgetful in our, our old age, but, um, you know, out in the golf course, uh, as, John as John suggested, uh, it's probably one of the most important factors. How many times have we, you know, listened to players uh, talk about, you know, when they're questioned after a PGA event and they're saying, well, what about such and such? And, uh, you know, I remember Bubba Watson after winning one of the Masters said, you know, I don't remember. Um, so obviously he had blocked out some of the bad holes um, because he was focusing on the task at hand. So would you agree with that, uh, an important trait for a good player? Oh, without question. Um, absolutely. They've got to they've have that. They've got to be able to move forward. You know, I, I heard a great line one time. It's somebody said a double bogey is a bad shot followed by a dumb one. And, you know, it's, it's, you, have to, you have to move forward. You know, you hit a bad shot, so, you know, you're in trouble. Now you've got to get out of it. So you've you got to deal with the next one. You can't dwell on the previous one. It's already over with. There's nothing you can do about it. Yep. So you may as well continue to look forward. So, yeah, I think this is, this is huge. You know, you've got to be able to, to, to just move forward and, and not let the past, you know, history of what's going on. I mean, you just think about the lessons we give. I mean, most of the students, especially the new ones, you come, they come see, I always tell them, you know, I said, learning's not hard. It's the unlearning that's hard. You're, you're, you've got a great memory. You remember all those bad shots. That's why your swing's all over the place. You're reacting to them all. You know, so we've got to move forward. We've got to forget about those, and, and let's go forward with what we need to learn now. But I, I think from a, a player standpoint, especially a, a tour player, th this is huge. They, they've got to be able to just move forward and not worry about what just happened. And, um, and there's some of them, like you said, like the Phils, like the Tigers. I mean, these are guys that can mow it in the water, and the next thing you know, they're putting for par or birdie again. You're like, what the heck? How did he do that? They just have that ability. Yeah. So, um, and, and then there's some that are on the other, other side of it. You can see it. They hit it in the water. The, sho the shoulders drop. The head drops. And so here comes the double. I mean, you can just see it, and like John was talking about. When you're watching them play, you can just see the wheels are going to fall off uh, because they don't have the ability yeah. to recover from those bad ones. And so – You've got to get over that hurdle, and you've, you've got to learn how to move forward when, when things aren't going very well. And, I, you know, I always said to people, say, what are some of your, your best rounds of golf you remember? And I said, to me, it's the ones where I had the ability to score and I wasn't playing very well. Those are my favorite rounds. Yep. I mean, I'm just not hitting it very well, but, boy, I figured out how to get it around. And, you know, you're just you're not dwelling on what's going on, and you're just moving forward and say, hey, i got to make part here. What do i got to do now? Let's get this done. So, yeah, some of those rounds that – you know, you get done. It's like you said. They said, "How was that round?" So I don't even remember. But shoot, I played well. Uh, I can't remember what I did. You know, and then when you get home, you remember what they were. But you know, it's just that in the moment, you're not worried about what just happened. You're just only worried about how you finished. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, it often reminds me, uh, too, you know, of this thought. Um, you know, if, if I was to look back and somebody was to say to me, do you want to be remembered for winning tournaments or do you want to be remembered for being the best ball striker who never won a tournament? And that's a no-brainer. I mean, if you look at some of the best players in the world, even Tiger. Tiger's hit some god-awful ugly shots in his career. Uh, he certainly hit some phenomenal ones. But what sets him apart is he's able to close the deal. I can think of a number of tour players, certainly good players. They certainly may have won a tournament or two, but are some of the best ball strikers on tour. But they don't win much. So, you know, when I hear people saying, uh, and, and certainly we all want to be able to hit the ball a little bit better, but when I hear people to the point of almost obsessing with becoming a better ball striker, right away I know that their focus is on the wrong area and in the wrong direction. Uh, improving ball striking is one thing, but if your sole focus is, is to be a better ball striker and not on how can I score better out on the golf course, you're never going to rise to your, your full potential. And you might be a good trick shot artist and you might be somebody that can uh, wow them on the driving range, but you're not going to be holding up too many trophies uh, at the end of, uh, end of the, uh, the tournament. So uh, just some thoughts there. Uh, Pete, I'm going to bounce it back to you this time. Uh, number three is, and I think this is important as well, and I can think of a couple of players uh, who stand, come into mind, Tiger again, of course, and of course Jack Nicholas. Uh, but the importance of having a singular focus, um, and obviously we know what that's about, but um, just for, for clarity for, for those tuning into the show, um, obviously is, is an ability to be able to narrow one's focus on a specific task at hand, uh, not thinking about necessarily two or three holes down the road or, as we just talked about, two or three holes back, um, but focusing on the task at hand. Talk a little bit about that, Pete, on, on how important a singular focus is to, to some of the better players. Well, I think you just mentioned two of the best that ever prepared themselves to play tournaments, Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas. When you talk about a singular focus, their focus was on how am I going to win this? Um, they play to win and that's, that's a focus that's out mm -hmm. there. So they're going to be able to take the golf course apart and, and look at it when they're practicing with one single thought in mind is I want to win this tournament. I can't, I, I'm going to play to win. I mean, Tiger said that many, many times. Uh, you, you can hear me say, well, I entered it because I'm trying to win. Um, and so even where he's at now, you can still hear the same thing. Um, he understands where he is, but I think, yeah, a singular focus is really, really important, you know, especially, you, you know, when you're going from day to day. I mean, we all know that you can have, some thoughts that you you had one thing that's going on, you're playing great, and you, you have that same thought the next day, and it's uh, it goes out the window. So you have to you have to refocus. But I think having something on, on a simple single basis of, of what you're trying to do, uh, I, I think can help you really drill into what's going on. So yeah, I, I think that's a, a pretty good trait to have. I know a lot of them don't have it, but you, you know, as you were looking at it, I mean, Tiger and and uh, you know Jack Nicklaus Jack. especially, I think those guys were. They prepared themselves better than everybody else, and, and their <laughs> records speak it. There's no question. You know, I, I didn't I didn't hear it yep. written, you know, as much, you know, the Sam Sneeds and, and, and Hogan's and them, but I, I'm pretty sure that uh, they weren't too far off from these two guys. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. 
And and John, I think that uh, again, this is something uh, again it falls into a skill set. Um, some naturally it may come a little easier than others, uh, and others it, it's it's a learned skill that uh, you develop over time through experience. Um, maybe touch a little bit uh, on that as well um, about having a singular focus and and um, you know how important that is. Uh, when you're talking with your students about getting them to focus on the task at hand as opposed to, you know, sort of broadening their focus too much? Well, I think, like, when I look at a singular focus, I look at two examples. Let's talk about Nicholas and let's talk about Tiger. When you look at Nicholas, Nicholas played one way where he would he would try to hit a cut on with his tee shots. If it was a dog leg left, he would use a three-wood off the tee. If he couldn't get his driver in play, we'd go to his three wood. If he couldn't get his three wood in play, he'd go to his one iron. If he couldn't get his one iron in play, he'd go to his two iron. He he had a system and 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 he never varied from that. He pretty much, unless he was in you know behind a tree and had to hit some sort of shot, he pretty much played a cut the same way. Where Tiger is a is a little is they both have the singular focus in the way they're uh, they're approaching a golf course, but Tiger does it differently in my opinion. Because Tiger, first of all, does not hit as many fairways as Jack Nicklaus did, and so, but Tiger has the ability right. to create shots that that Nicklaus wouldn't even think of hitting, and and he can. I think I think the most important trait uh, for for winning at um, or one of the most important traits for winning at Augusta, for example, is being able to work the ball both ways. Because when you're hitting your iron shots into the greens, to be able to draw or cut uh, a ball into uh, the greens because of the slopes is very important in being able to control where your ball ends up because you're always wanting to be below the hole. And so you you have two examples when Nicholas and uh, Nicholas would play a cut and a guy like Nick Faldo and uh, Tiger Woods when they got in the fairway at Augusta they could bring it in from both directions. So they both had mm-hmm. singular focus but they were different in the way they approached it. And and so like when I've worked with when when I was working with uh, Bob when he was on. Bob Sowers, when he was on the PJ Tour in 2008, he did not like do- he did not like dog leg left, and he liked to cut the ball off uh, with his driver. And I and I told him I said I said you're I said I don't care if the hole's 500 yards, hit your three wood off the tee. And he fought me a little bit on it because he just in his mind he just could not wrap his mind around hitting the three wood off the tee. And we went to uh, when he played at Sedgefield, it's a lot of dog leg left. Lot, some long holes that are dog leg left, and he hit three wood, and he came in ninth that week. And so that was that was an example of having a focus and having a plan and sticking to the plan, no matter what it, no matter what the yardage is. Saying, hey, this this hole does not fit my eye, so I'm going to do. I'm either going to um, try to pl- use another club, or I'm going to try to fit my swing into this hole, which may not be the right thing to do. So I would all that goes back to having a conservative game plan and a confident, cocky swing, is what the way I would yep. look at that. Yeah, that's a that's a great observation. Um, very interesting uh, analogy of of both uh, Tiger and Jack. Um, and and you know I, I believe you're you're exactly right there. Uh, Nicholas certainly had a more conservative. I mean, they both were able to play a power game. Um, obviously, Nicholas could be very long off the tee uh, during his time, um, but he was a much more conservative and I would consider maybe a more methodical player where Tiger um, was able to manipulate the ball, I think, much more effectively 
uh, in a lot of ways than Nicholas was, but he wasn't always as accurate as you suggested off the tee. So very good observation. I like that. Um, John, again, take a deep breath. I'm going to come right back to you. Um, having a creative, uh, and obviously, um, since we've already mentioned him, Mickelson is somebody that I would think about this, having a creative mind's eye. Um, a lot of times we have to uh, be very creative out in the golf course and, uh, you know, it's not always going to be uh, tee to green. Uh, you know, we might always going to find ourselves in the middle of the fairway and uh, some interesting shots might have to be made. So um, I think that's also a, uh, a trait that uh, many great golfers definitely need to have. Would you agree with that as well? Having a creative mind's eye? Yes. And, and, and golf was, was originally this week. Yes, golf is, was originally meant to be to be played on the ground, and and so when you look at link style golf and being able to hit, you know that's one of the things I enjoy about the Masters and the British Open is when the guys are missing greens. There's a lot of different ways you can go high, you can go low, you can putt, you can putt with a hybrid or a three wood or whatever. Um, and so I I always challenge my students, um, and I say each year you should try to put one new shot into your game. Don't always say I'm going to putt from off the green. Now, if you have a situation where it calls for putting, then I have no problem with that. But what are you going to do if you've got a sprinkler head in your way? Or what are you going to do if it's really wet and there's, you know, there's a, maybe a casual water in front of you uh, or something like that? You've got to sometimes learn to hit different shots. So being creative, I, I, I think that that's uh, what makes the game fun is when you go out and you miss the green. I mean, you don't have to be too creative when you're putting. I mean, you're on the green, so you're going to pretty much go with what you got. But when you're around the greens, there's so many different situations that you can get, so many different lies. And, and that's what I would rather see people do. I think the best way to, to learn your short game is to take three to five balls, walk around a practice screen, and just constantly give yourself new shots. Don't stand there with a bucket of balls hitting one shot. Because, I mean, unless you're a true beginner and you're just learning how to maybe, you know, put the club on the ball – uh, that's really not realistic of what golf is about. So being able to sit there and assess the situation and go, do I go high here? Do I go low? You know, is the is the ball going to release? Is the ball going to sit? All those things, I think, is what makes golf fun. Yep. No, you're you're exactly right. I think this is where a lot of amateur golfers, Pete, um, really fall short. Is they you know go up to the range and they grab their bucket or two of balls and they're hitting the same shot, you know, shot after shot and maybe with very little variance, and then they get out in the golf course and maybe the whole 18 round, uh, 18 hole round, that shot that they've been practicing out in the range for the last hour or hour and a half, uh, you know, a day before or earlier before their round, um, might come up once or twice in 18 holes. So they've basically been practicing for nothing. Um, so we need to get a little creative out there. Would you agree? Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, when you look around the driving range and, and you see the tee the line is full and then you turn around, you look at the putting green, you look at the, the short game area, there's nobody over there. And so people wonder why right. the scores are so high. Um, yeah, you got to get over there and practice those. And I tell my students all the time, I say, you know, I practice the short game quite a bit. And when I play my best, I don't have a, much of it. I mean, I practice pitching all the time. And when I play good, I don't have any. But it's the, it's the thing of practicing those that leads to helping the rest of your game. And so you have to be have those yeah. shots and you have to be creative in them. And many times we'll go over to play 
you know, shots around the green, like chip shots. And I say, I get to pick the club. And I said, all right, this time you got to use your driver. And they look at me like, you're insane. What do you mean use your driver? I said, figure it out. How mm-hmm. are you going to move this ball from here to there? We're going to create some imagination here and, and try to get you to, to figure out how to make this work. And so the ball's going to spend all its time on the ground with a driver. You're not going to get it very much in the air. Well, let's take this club. So I like to give them different clubs all the time and, and make them adapt the club to the situation so they can figure out, you know, how to make the shot work, how to make it work. And so I think that makes them a little bit more creative yep. overall as, as to what they're trying to do. And, you know, I, they need to spend more time. I mean, I've got a, a new player that I'm working with, and, and I told him, I said, we're probably going to start off spending about 70% of your time and, and putting, chipping, pitching. Uh, and, you know, he said, well, what about the long shots? I said, we'll get to those. I said, we'll do enough of those, but we got to make sure that you do these short game shots because I want to teach you how to score first. So when you get around the greens, I don't want it to be an issue. And so let's get it to where, you know, we can reasonably get it in the air down the fairway. But when you get around the greens, you know, there's situations you're going to be in that you're not going to know what to do, but we're going to practice those so you know what they are. And that goes back to what you were talking about, yep. uh, number one, confidence. If you've got confidence in your short yep. game, you take a guy like Seve, you can drive it off the earth and still play well. You know, he had, you know, mm-hmm. he knew, you know, if he hit it in the ball washer, he'd get up and down. He'd figure out a way to make it work. You know, so he could hit it anywhere. Yep. And so that's, you know, a lot like Bubba, yeah, too. He, I mean, even though he drives it pretty straight, they know they can get it done. Yep. And, and you're right. It goes to, to confidence and and um, you know, Seve had the, the the complete package. I mean, you know, he could he could drive the ball pretty well. He was, certainly wasn't the best on tour, um, but he could come up with some interesting shots. He was obviously a phenomenal sand player, um, and he was very creative. Um, and I think that you know that's an extremely important thing. And and people you know always always say, well, you know, how can I how can I make it more fun? How can I make my practice more fun? Well, there's a good example right there. Get out and practice. Um, some different shots, make it interesting. I mean, I, I listen, I, I love golf just as much as the next guy, but if I went out and practiced the same thing day in, day out, I would get bored. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to be willing to be creative and, and be a little bit uh, inventive when you get out to the, to the practice tee. And that's the time when you, you know, work on your creativity. And, and as John suggested, yes, obviously for a novice player, you need to get out there and work on, on uh, you know, good contact. So you might have to be a little bit repetitive initially. Uh, but once you're confident in that and feeling that you're, you're striking the ball well, now's the time to have some fun with it and get out there and work on some different shots. Try, you know, make these, you know, two or three adjustments and see what happens. And, uh, you know, now you're suddenly you're drawing the ball or maybe you're fading the ball uh, as opposed to just hitting a big old slice. Um, so be a little bit experimental. And this is a, a great opportunity to work with your teaching pro or coach and get them to help you uh, make some of those changes and, and have some fun with it. And, you know, people are always saying, I want to have fun. Well, that's a great way to do it. Um, all right, uh, Pete, I'm going to come back to you. And, and this is the last one, number five, uh, a competitive fire that burns. I think we would all probably agree that the best players, um, when they're playing their best, those conf- those um, competitive juices, if you will, are churning up inside. I would think you would agree that that's an important trait to have to be a good player. Well, without question, um, you know, you look at so many of these, 
you know, tour players, they're competitive in everything they do. Um, it's not only on the golf course. Mm-hmm. You watch them, they'll play ping pong or billiards. Or, I mean, they, they want to win. I mean, that's just a drive that they have. They, they love to compete. And I think that's something that, you know, is, is very, very important. Um, you know, I try to teach that into uh, a lot of my players. I said, you know, I want you to, uh, the desire to be there, to, to really play well, um, and, and, and just that fire to compete. You know, a lot of them have it because they want to win. But, uh, you know, I want them just to just to be in the competition, just having fun being out there, you know, grinding it out in those tournaments and, and having some fun. I mean, that's that's a good competitive fire to have. But I also want them to, to have that to, to play well, you know, to really strive to play well. And, and I think that falls right into the, that category. So always, you know, have that desire to compete, um, to do your best, to, to really try to play well. And, and always try to achieve that. And I, I think as, as they continue to do that, um, you know, the, your, your students will improve, but I think the tour players, especially, um, you know, they all have that and they all love to compete and, and they all want to win. And, you know, they've all come from situations where they have won before, you know, as juniors moving up. So, you know, they, they know what that's like. And, and so, you know, that, that fire's still there. I mean, they, they're all trying to win a tournament, you know, whether it's uh, trying to win your 80th yeah. or 81st or, or whether you're trying to win your first. I mean, they're all out there trying to compete. So, yeah, this is definitely a trait I think that uh, is, is important to have. Yeah, well said. Um, John, I'm going to let you uh, wrap up uh, with your thoughts on this competitive fire. How important is that for some of our better players and, and for those that, that want to get out there and, and do their best and, and play competitive golf? Um, they, they've got to have that uh, that sort of, inner burning if you will uh in order to do that would you agree i yes and and i i think something that's important is is not is having the ability not to give up and not to quit um that was one of the things i learned from phil rogers he said you never quit on a hole because you might you might drive it in water you take your drop you hit it up by the green and you might chip your next one in the hole you know you, you might make a 50 footer or you might uh, hole a ball out, you know, from the bunker. Or your opponent might uh, three putt and and went, you know, from six feet. You never give up. And I think that that is so important because everybody wants to win. I mean, everybody wants to yep. win. I mean, that's like saying, you know, does anybody want to win the lottery? I mean, everybody wants to win. But having the ability <laughs> not to give up because because I see so many people, so many, especially junior golfers. When they go out and they get off to a rough start, they just throw in the towel and they just they just put their head down and they quit. And that's one the thing of all the things that Tiger Woods has done. And I'm and I'll be the first to say I'm not I've never been a huge huge Tiger Woods fan. I've I've always been a Jack Nicklaus fan. But the one thing I respected most about Tiger Woods was that cut record that he had about all those cuts he made. I can't remember what the number was, but it was it, it, yeah. it told you that he would never give up he would never quit he might be on the cut line have no chance to to win but he he would grind it out and there's a lot of guys even on the pga tour and you can just see it um you know where they just maybe they're coming in the last four or five holes and they're not going to make the cut and you can just see the way where they're playing and having the ability to grind it out and and you know if it means shooting a 75 versus the 77 having the pride to stick it out and not not just throw in the towel. I think that is important. Uh, no matter what level that you're playing at is to, to play and never give up. 
Yeah, and that that is a uh, that is an important um, really point to make. Uh, and you're exactly right. You know, I in reflection when I look back to uh, you know Tiger Woods playing, particularly you know earlier on in his career, um, that was something. You're exactly right. I mean, he might be just hovering around that cut line. Uh, may not realistically have a chance to win, but he never gave up. He went in there and gave it a very, a very best, and I think he did it for a couple of reasons. One, he did it for himself, but I think he knew that you know um, a, a lot of people were watching him, and I think he wanted to show. Um, you know, it, it would have been very easy for him to say, you know, I, I got a big check this this week, whether I am uh, in or not. You know, I've got millions of dollars in sponsorship. Uh, you know endorsements and things like that, uh, so it doesn't really matter to me. No, he every tournament counted whether he had a legitimate chance, and in his mind, I think he felt he had a legitimate chance to win, and so he was going to give it his 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 very best to the last possible moment. So when he walked off the 18 uh, and maybe missed the cut by one or two shots, in his mind, he thought, you know, I gave it my all and I can hold my head up. Even though I didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish this week, um, I can still hold my head up. And that, that to me, is a mark of a champion. Um, whether he wins another tournament again or not is irrelevant, uh, and I would agree with that. That's a great point. Uh, all right, guys. Well, thank you, as always, for a great discussion tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, you guys uh, always, uh, as I've said many times, you guys always bring your best, and it's interesting to get uh, your perspectives on on some of the questions that I'm throwing out. And uh, I think it was a very interesting discussion tonight. So thank you guys. Um, give you each a, a quick moment just to let the folks know if they want to reach out or anything special that you want to uh, promote uh, before we uh, close off this segment. Uh, uh, Pete, I'm going to let you go first this time and then, and then John. Well, thanks Ted and John. It's always great uh, being on with you and, and Ted, thank you for, for this, uh, for doing this. It's great that you, you bring this out so that, uh, you know, we can have a chance to talk and, and bring some things out to the people, but, they can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. That's P-L-A-N-E. All my contact information is out there. So a few uh, tidbits and stories and things. So if that's where they want to get a hold of me, that's where they can do it. Perfect. And, and John, um, if the folks want to reach out to you or, or anything specific that you want to uh, uh, let out there in the last uh, moment or two. Well, Ted, first off, thanks again for having us on the show. And Pete, I really enjoy uh, being on the show with you as well um i'm there's several different ways to uh if you to reach me uh i'm on all the social media platforms facebook is john decker golf instruction twitter instagram linkedin and youtube um i've also got videos on golfswing.com um and i've got a, a new short game series which is going to be coming out which is um about seven hours of video content which is about the most uh comprehensive short game uh programs that that's been produced. So I'm really excited about that. And that'll be coming out very soon. And then my book, golf is my life, glorifying God through the game. Uh, you can uh, purchase that on Amazon or Barnes and Noble websites. Perfect. Well, guys, uh, once again, thank you very much for, for joining me on the coach's corner panel. It's always uh, an enjoyable experience having uh, two great professionals like yourselves. And in my books, uh, the accula- ac- accolades, uh, sell both of you short. You guys are true professionals and, uh, and uh, true gentlemen of the game. So until next time, thanks for joining me, guys, and have a great weekend. Thank you. All right, you too. Thanks, Ted. See you, John. See you, Pete. All right. Bye, Ted. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was John Decker and Pete Buchanan, uh, the 
uh, guest panelists on the Coach's Corner tonight. Uh, always uh, enjoy uh, having uh, some interesting discussion on the panel. Uh, and I'm going to continue the interesting discussion tonight with my very special guest. Uh, he's been uh, on the show before. Actually, he has been on the Coach's Corner panel uh, in past and has also been a uh, special guest as well. Uh, of course, I'm talking about my good friend Tim Kramer. Uh, he's the president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, LLC. And just to tell you a little bit more about him, and then I'm going to bring him on, and we will have, a, uh, again, a very interesting discussion tonight. Uh, of course, as I mentioned, he is uh, the president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, uh, formerly Spirit of Golf, LLC. And it's a uh, program utilizing uh, innovative and pioneering hands-on techniques that help uh, participants access peak mind states for greater success in sports, business, and life. Um, total peak performance coach as he combines mind coaching with swing instruction. Tim is a golf tech certified swing coach and having taught thousands of lessons to golfers of all ages and handicap levels. Uh, coaches golfers at the mini tour level and on all major professional tours, including Jim Herman, of course, who was the winner of the 2016 PJ Shell uh, Houston Open. Additionally, Tim coaches professionals, ranked amateurs, university teams, and aspiring juniors in other sports as well, including tennis, football, baseball, and volleyball. So without further hesitation, let me bring on my very special guest this evening, Tim Kramer. Good evening, Tim. Well, Ted, how are welcome. you? Welcome. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm thank just... you. Thanks for having me back on. <clears throat> not, not far. How are you was, doing? You know, it's funny. I'm doing fantastic. I was thinking about you recently. We actually did a coach's corner uh, probably about a month ago, and I was trying to find something to, to talk about. And as I was putting my notes together, I happened to, for some reason, I don't know, I came across your site, and I saw something at the time that sort of piqued my interest. So we, we actually paid you some homage, if you will, that evening on Coach's Corner uh, with a few questions based off your site. So Must have been a slow some great night. Information there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <it was laughs> Thank a slow you. Night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now you, you've got some you've got some great stuff on on the site, and we're going to talk about some of that here tonight, um, a little bit differently than what we did a few weeks ago on Coach's Corner, but. Uh, uh, you, you've always got some some interesting uh, ideas and perspectives on on really how to uh, sort of marry, if you will, the mental side of the game uh, with the physical side, uh, and and I want to talk a little bit about that tonight, um, just to to let the folks know exactly what it is that you do. So I, I want to read a couple of things. These are things that obviously I've I've pulled off the site, and then I've I've got some questions sure. wrapped around it. So if if you're if you're ready, let's uh, let's get to it. All right. As I you am ready. Talked about every. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, as every elite uh, athlete will attest, achieving states of peak performance must, at some point, uh, move beyond physical talent into an empowered state of mind. It is then the uh, journey turns outside in, a uh, game within the game in which thoughts and emotions remain strong and stable in spirit of what the courses uh, throw our way. So, in a sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, this explains how the way we react, adapt, and overcome the challenges that we face uh, on course, uh, obviously how we handle those things is going to change the outcome of our play, correct? Uh, that, that's absolutely correct. And I think, I think you know, we're, we're already getting to probably the essence of what I, what I coach and share in that most performance, as you know, is the emotions and, and the thoughts and that we think and feel and um, they're only as good as our performance, and, and what we most uh, athletes do is they spend most of their time 
within the context of the mind game, just reacting to performance. And, and, and as a result, it's kind of like a yo-yo effect that when they're playing well, uh, their minds are strong. When they're not playing well, uh, arguably their thoughts and emotions are, are often weak. So, so the work that we do is really to get the mind strong and stable and out in front of performance. And a couple things happen. One is that as we become stronger and more stable, obviously we, we, we bring a very different skill set to the game. But secondly, what we see is that performance literally rises very quickly because now performance, uh, which is always a match to the mind in a sense, uh, uh, everything, every time we even swing a golf club, um, there are signals going from the brain into the body. So it would be impossible to swing a club without some sort of signals being received from the brain. Um, so that's really what this is about is just flipping the paradigm from, from, uh, from performance leading to emotions to emotions really controlling performance. Yeah. Um, and, and, and well said, you know, I, we were talking about just here in the last few moments on the coach's corner panel, we were talking about, um, you know, some of the top traits that are better golfers. And of course we're talking about the elite golfers uh, have, and, you know, we talked about everything from uh, confidence and almost a cockiness, if you will. Um, we, you know, we talked about things like, um, you know, having a, a more singular focus as opposed to sort of a broader focus. And one of the interesting things that one of the coaches, and I think you might've been actually online here and might've heard this, but talked about Tiger Woods and how that even in a round when he didn't necessarily have an opportunity or wasn't going to have a chance to make the cut, he still went in there with, uh, you know, with everything he had uh, right up to the last moment. And that speaks to really his mindset. Would you agree that, because uh, a lot of players, we've seen them where, you know, they're coming in, uh, closing out a round, they know they, they're not going to make the cut, and that, that they sort of just start changing their focus. How important is that to be a top athlete to be able to say, okay, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to stay focused on the task at hand and I'm going to move forward until the last possible moment. How important is that to being a better player? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's uh, essential, vitally critical. But I want to throw out probably maybe a little bit different approach to this in that um, um, several sure. years ago what I did was in breaking out the mind game. See, we talk about it so much as a mental game, and, and, and I certainly know sure. there's a mental component, obviously, but I, I look yeah. at it a little different in terms of we've got, we've got physical, mental, and emotional rather than just physical and mental. And the distinction there, Ted, is that I believe the mental part of the game, which includes focus, um, is more of a strategy type of processing within, you know, within thoughts. And so uh, strategy would be uh, how far I have to the hole, where the wind is blowing, the lie of the ball, what club I want to hit, what shot I want to hit. Um, then we get into the world of emotions. And that's where we get into qualities such as confidence and, and you know, just um, uh, commitment and things like that. And so I would dare say, I know we talk a lot about focus, but but I'm the first one to say that I just think the ability to focus is totally determined upon the quality of the emotions, that when, when we're really stable emotionally, our ability to focus goes out the roof. When we're bouncing all over the place emotionally, uh, our ability to focus is, is basically, it just isn't as good as it could be. So 
I'm going to say that it really is the emotions that are are more of the front runner in the mind game, even than you know than mental qualities such as focus. The other one would be visualization, and um, I've had the privilege or 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 whatever to work with uh, with some people who um, who yip uh, have the yips, and as you know, the yips can be very oh, yeah. very debilitating <laughs> to a golfer. Yeah, yeah, yes. And and so again, we can do all the visualization work that we want, but if we can't get somebody who's yipping, you could sit there and have them visualize something smoothly or the smooth roll of the ball or the smooth flow of the putter face. But, but again, uh, to me, until we can get the emotions in a good space, their ability to repeat or even visualize effectively, again, just goes right out the window. You know, that, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, a very good player um, for, for many, many years, I enjoyed watching him. Of course, a tall player from uh, Australia, uh, Ian Baker Finch, uh, sure. comes to mind. He was one that, that really struggled with that uh, and to the point where it moved him from competing on the PGA Tour to becoming at that time an announcer in the booth simply because he right. couldn't overcome exactly what you're talking right. about. And, right. and when you get into a situation, let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's something uh, obviously sure. not everybody struggles with, but uh, but. Let's talk about that when you get a player, somebody like that caliber, who suddenly gets really debilitated. How do you, as, as a coach, what would you do with that player and how would you help them uh, you know, move to a successful transition back to uh, sure. you know, playing again? How would you work sure. with well, that? Sure. Well, one of the things, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things I would say about that, that very thing is that, and if you were in, you've, obviously had discussions with people with the yips. But the funny thing about the yips is that when the pressure or the perceived really pressure is just perceived, uh, uh, perceived emotion anyway, but that when, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the pressure is not on, mm-hmm. they almost can't yip. And so it is arguably, of course, it starts with something physical. There's, there's no doubt that there's a breakdown in the swing at some point, but once it gets to the stage of the yips, it becomes so emotional that, that, uh, you know, the folks that I've talked to, it's no different than, than putting your finger in a light socket. And, and it is that, uh, it's that immediate and that powerful in terms of just how it, it basically puts the body into a spastic mode. And so what we do with the yips is basically, Basically, we, we work to get a player into a very calm, stable uh, state of mind so that they're focusing almost more on just feeling calm and stable throughout the stroke rather than the stroke itself. So the, the kind of the, the, uh, the focus, the mindset goes more to stability of emotion than just feeling good or feeling calm and, and not losing that sensation. And just, it may start off with a, just a very, very basic stroke or whatever. Um, but to, to make it the priority to just feel good. And then little by little by little, uh, it, it does begin to the pattern does begin to break, but it's it's a tough one. It it is tough because yeah. again it happens so strongly on an emotional level that uh, and then of course the belief goes right out the window, the desire to play, the desire to compete, and before long uh, it becomes you know it becomes a pretty big obstacle. Um, and and the other thing too that you've seen is that. <laughs> I would dare say there's probably not uh, not a golfer on the planet who struggles with the putting yips who probably doesn't have 20 putters right. <laughs> in their garage. 
Um, and, uh, right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and again, the, the funny thing is they can take any putter and when there's no pressure on, um, and, and again, so that's why I would say that, that it is a mindset because when there's no perceived pressure, it's, it's really hard for them to yip. But as soon as they get into a situation where kind of the brain kicks into that mode of, oh no, this could happen again. That's when, that's when it goes back into the yip response. Yeah, and I think in the case, and, and I, again, I uh, certainly don't want to profess that I'm analyzing, uh, and I'm just using him as an example because he's one that I thought of, sure. like Ian Baker Finch. Um, but I think in his particular case is he was not able to make that transition. Uh, and I, I, would you agree that that's something that has to happen relatively quickly in order to, to be successful? Because obviously the longer that you're continuing down that path, of sort of the, the wheels falling off the bus, the harder it's going to be uh, to be able to, to, to get back on track. And, and I think that's it, what happened yeah. with him. I mean, this is, going, going, yeah, this is going back probably 20 years now. Oh, so, no, you know, obviously, sure. you know what I'm saying? So w- would that be something that you would agree with as well, that, that in order to, for it to be successful, to get them back on track, that it, it's something that you want to make sure that you address fairly quickly and get them, uh, oh, you know, absolutely! Absolutely. Once it goes into the full-blown yips, um, and and again, the the misperception to me is that um, once yeah, once we start down the yip road, I mean, I mean, I think that uh, yeah. if if the, the the suggestion I would have for anybody that even remotely starts to do it to get to somebody, but that's maybe one of the problems with some of the coaching is that the coach is just going to see, well, the putter's coming back too far to the outside, to the inside. They're twisting, and they are, and, and I agree with that, um, that that is a problem, but it's when, it's when the issue becomes an emotional issue and the body begins to lock up yeah. and get spastic that then it's beyond anything, and really it's beyond anything that in that moment temporarily they can physically control. That's the other thing is that somebody who doesn't have the yips is just going to say, what's the big deal? We're just talking about, you know, putting the putter right to there, to that position with about six inches in front of the ball or a foot in front of the ball. What do you mean they can't do it? And and, Ted, in reality, they cannot because, and now they're beating up on themselves even more because again, it's, it's just a really out of control movement. So uh, yeah, I'll tell you, um, I think within the first few weeks of, 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 yipping uh they should be getting some <clears throat> excuse me some sort of uh you know some sort of assistance with with how the mind actually creates the movement in the body and with the stroke yeah i think it's almost very similar in in what happens to a person uh and please correct me if i'm wrong but uh, you know from from the mind's perspective if you know you were sort of to wave your hand over a hot object you know a stove or something and now your your mind is saying, okay, that's going to burn. And so every time you're put in that scenario, that sort of imagery comes back in. Is that kind of the same thing that's happening with the yips? Is every time they're put in that that uh, situation, that negative sort of record plays in their head, and and that's why it's difficult. It would, that's absolutely um, correct. For them. Yes. Yeah. 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 And the way that and, I and liken it is, there's a story going on. Go ahead, please. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to, okay. No, I was going to say, 
I was going to say, yeah, and, and one of the predominant stories always, you know, when I talk with these guys and these ladies is that um, here we go again, here, here we go again, and it almost really feels like golfing hell. I mean, it just feels like something they're never going to shake. <laughs> it's, it's really that severe. And, um, you know, the good news is, is that it, it, can be, it can be dealt with. But a lot of times, by the time they'll come to somebody like me, they've been, they've been struggling with the yips for a year, two, three years. And, and that is not no. at that point a quick fix. No, not at all. Because no. they're, they're, they've, uh, they've and, and really we start looking into the brain itself. And what happens is that they're, you know, the, the way the brain fires, it's fired in a similar pattern, the synopses in the brain. They fired in a similar way for many, many, many years. And you just reinforce that pattern. And so uh, it's very coachable, but it's just that we have to get new patterns developed. And really what we're trying to do, Ted, is not get rid of the yips as much as reinforce inside the brain and inside the emotions a feeling of calmness as they're putting it. But that's tough to do because obviously, yeah. you know, it just doesn't go away all by itself. No, no. And, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a process, a journey, if you will. And, and I agree with you, Tim. I think that you, you have to, as a player, especially an elite player, um, if you want to, you know, overcome whatever it may be that you're dealing with, it, it's obviously important for them to, to, you know, sort of jump on, get back on the horse, if you will, as quick as possible, because I think it can be literally, as you suggest, it could be debilitating uh, if they don't. Um, I, I, I want to ask you something. Yeah, I, I want to ask you something here, Tim, if I can. Um, I, I know that over the last decade or so, um, doing what you're doing, you've developed a practice really that that has helped train athletes in, in many sports, not just obviously golf, but uh, to take sort of the mental and emotional mind performance from uh, you know the average uh, you know athlete to obviously the elite athlete, and you've really helped them to learn to not only become but to think, to act, and even play and even feel like champions. Um, so there comes a point in time when obviously there's a switch if you will that sort of gets flicked that a, a you know sort of an average player suddenly develops the skills to become a better player um and and something inside sort of changes so what talk a little bit if you can what's involved in sort of flicking that switch as it were to from sort of becoming a just a good player to an elite player what has to happen inside yeah it's it's Sure, it's a very interesting question. The progression that I normally see, Ted, with with athletes in any sport, but it, uh, uh, the bulk of my business continues to be with golfers, but is that they develop really, really incredibly solid swings. I mean, uh, uh, just yeah, I always jokingly say you can walk down the you can walk down the, uh, the 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 practice range of any tour event, and you just you just could not look at them hitting balls and not believe that every one of them. Uh, is about to win the tournament. I mean, they're that good as ball strikers, right. and, and you see that. Um, we get to the first hole, and then they start going right and left immediately, so that always tells me something, some story that they're telling themselves <laughs> uh, has changed within right. the, inside the head. But, but so first of all, there's that development. Then what I've seen, the second progression, is that they go into the uh, down the fitness road. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm, 
totally in support of all. I, I, I love the swing. I, love, I teach the swing. Love the golf swing. Love working out. So I'm not knocking any of these. But, but we do this at the expense of an untrained mind. And, and what I kind of – one of the analogies, I do clinics all over the country at, at, at a lot of private clubs. One of the analogies I, I always like to share is that it, it's the one of the samurai warriors. And in the days of the samurai right. warrior, oftentimes before they ever touched a sword, they would train as younger, as adolescents or whatever, they would train for two or three or four years before they ever touched a sword. Um, we don't do that in golf. We, mm-hmm. we hand you a club, you go to the range, you miss hit a few shots, and you're already off in the weeds being upset. And a really right. negative pattern already begins inside the brain. It's of just, you know, a very reactionary uh, part of the brain that we hit, we see something we don't like and we react. And, you know, before long, uh, we've really got some, some, you know, some negative uh, brain patterns going. Now, it's important to me too that that as we talk about this, by that negativity, I don't mean that it's good or bad. What I view more in terms of of the negativity is that it locks up the body. So I look at it more from an energy flow standpoint than I do a personality trait. Right. Because it's very easy to very easy to look at, at a player who's upset and say, ah, oh, you know, he's just he's just, he's just got a bad temper and he's you know he's off in the weeds and he's <laughs> and, and it's like yeah, of, right. co- of course he is. But but I look at more from a standpoint of but the problem with that is is that that anger blocks up the body the the body will never move in as much of a state of ease and flow as when the thoughts and the mind and the emotions are in a calm receptive space not unlike when we're in the zone you can't be in the zone as you know ted you've been we've all been in as athletes Mm -hmm. you can't be in the zone and angry in the same moment it isn't working that way right no. <laughs> you're going to be in the zone. You are in a hyper state of you're you're yeah right. You're 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 in a high state of, of extreme focus, calm focus, powerful focus, and we don't train athletes to get into that space. You know, we kind of drop in it occasionally, and and we come right back out of it. So a, a big part of what I do with athletes is really train them to get into the zone deliberately, not by chance anymore, but really deliberately. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, uh, and that's a great point. Uh, I remember a few years ago, um, you know, after the Masters when Bubba Watson had won, and he was asked in an interview about some of the earlier holes, and, you know, and obviously I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially he said what you just said was that he was so focused on, you know, the task at hand that he didn't remember, uh, you know, Exactly. Those two or yeah. three holes that they were yeah. they were trying to get him to talk about. So he got himself into that zone, if you will, uh, and was able to close right. out and ultimately win the tournament. And 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 you're exactly right. And and I think that you see a lot of players. And I was trying to think of who this player was, and, and you might recall, but uh, back a number of years ago, there was a player uh, that was over at the British Open, and uh, he was he was in position to win, and it sort of collapsed. Uh, in the coming holes, uh, coming in holes in, in the right. final round, and right. ultimately he ended up losing. Right. And I can't think of the player's name, but this is, was a player that at it was, some it was point friend, early it was through the, the tournament, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I can't think of who it is off the top of my head, but yeah, that's exactly who I'm talking about. I was trying to think about it on the uh, yes. uh, of his name on the panel, and it didn't come to mind. But um, I'll probably remember after the show's over. But anyways, um, but that, there's a good example of the opposite, where you know at one point he was. 
sort of in that zone and then something sort of derailed his thought process right. and then he couldn't get himself right. refocused. Uh, and, and that's something too, that, that obviously, uh, you know, happens quite a bit too, correct? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and even there, um, the, the, one of the skills we definitely work on, um, and it surrounds kind of this concept of time that the brain goes through. But, but when you think about it, all negative emotion, uh, Ted always surrounds a story about the past or the future. And, and so you remember yeah. something from the past you don't like, boom, the body locks up. Um, you think you get too far out in front of yourself. And it's, it's funny, I coach a lot of juniors these days, and oh my gosh, they're, they're already holding the trophy on about the third hole, and oh, you can imagine what happens after that. And, um, right, and, uh, right. uh, or they're off in the future. So, so I'm very fond of saying that that's why we take care of just this shot and just this shot and just this shot. So um, something that I really instill in them, and we, you know, it, it has to do with the present moment, um, you know, the old timers, we used to call it uh, uh, just, you know, taking care of the shot at hand. And that's really what it's about. You don't let the mind stray into the past and you don't let the mind stray into the future. And, and, and really, as I'm fond of saying, you know, all of our power is really right now, just, just right now, this shot and getting into that proper mental, physical and emotional space in order to optimize performance. Um, Huge fan of saying if you just take care of the now, it all falls into place. But as soon as you're in past or future, you, you, it's kind of it's going to get pretty messy. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny that you talk about the kids like that. You know, they in addition to holding up the trophy, they're, they've already got their social media uh, platform set up. You know, for when they <laughs> yeah. when they win yeah, before exactly. they've even won the tournament, they've already right. got. They know what posts are going to come out, and they're trying right. to ascertain well, how then, many clicks they're going to sure. get and likes. <laughs> Sure. Well, then it flips around to how bad, you know, and it's pretty funny because I saw, I don't know, a few months ago, you know, um, somebody said, how'd you do? And he goes, I suck. <laughs> and I'm just kind of yeah. chuckling at that. And it's like, oh, geez, you know, off in the weeds on that one. But, but, you know, it's the way, it's the way it goes. And, uh, and, uh, but, but yeah. And so again, it kind of reiterates the point that I try to make though, is we really have to get the mind more stable than performance. And until we do, um, if, if we're only as good as how we're hitting the ball from a, from a, a mind standpoint, you're, you're in, you're in deep trouble. And if you were to ask any touring pro, um, you know, and, and certainly when I was with, uh, Jim Herman a few years ago when he won the shell and he was, uh, he's been injured this year, but, but he really, his focus was just on, on staying in the now, but even Jim has said easily 90, 95% of the work that he puts in now is just on the mind game. It really is not about, it. Yeah. you know, they're all so refined at that level. Uh, and if they're not, True. they're always working on things physically to get better too. So it's never exclusionary. And I don't want to make it sound like that. It's, it's really, I believe, all three. It is mental. Okay, so what decisions can I make that are a little bit better for this shot? Physical, what can I do maybe right. just a little bit better today with my swing and certainly emotionally? You know, how can I stay, how can I get into a good mood before I get to the course? How can I stay in that mood no matter what happens yep. to the ball? And I think that that's what, you know, helps to optimize performance. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. Well said. Um, and while we're talking of kids here, I want to talk just a little bit here uh, about um, college, because obviously I know you do some coaching and, and a lot of uh, consulting yes. to uh, 
you know, Division One athletes, both golf and non-golf, but obviously we're going to focus on golf here. But um, and, and you've helped a lot of them really, of these junior athletes, uh, you know, receive a full ride, uh, you know, in college with yeah. their scholarships. So if, yeah. if you had uh, some listening ears right now that uh, whether it be the, some college uh, kids that are tuning into the show or even parents – um, and, and you yeah. had their ear for a moment or two, what, what do they need to do is what do college athletes need to do to better prepare, uh, if they want to play division one golf. And it's not just so much the physical side, but what do they need to do to, to, you know, to give a chance because it's, it's competitive. Oh, it's, it's very competitive. In fact, uh, it's gotten almost into a big business. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and what I try to relate, and again, it's the whole concept of, of the now and that if they're out there as a junior in high school and they're, they're worrying during a round of competitive golf, what that shot means for their chances of getting a college scholarship their mind's not where it needs to be. And yet we can, we can laugh about that, yeah. but I, I can tell you just about every one of them goes through that, as do players on the mini tours, by the way, who are, uh, I, I have a story from several years ago, a player of mine was, um, uh, he was in a three-day mini tour event down in Florida, and uh, he mm-hmm. hits a, a pretty, pretty wild shot on about the, I don't know, the 14th hole or something like that. Now, this was back in May. And um, so I, the story, as I tell it, is, did, you know, did his mind go to, what does this bad shot mean for the hole? And it's, it's like, no, it didn't stop there. And what does it mean for the round? No, it didn't stop there. What does it mean for this tournament? No, it didn't stop there. It was, what does that bad shot I just hit mean for my chances of getting through tour school in three months? Which just tells right. you they are so far off in the future with with nothing yep. that they can control. So they're just way too far down the road with their thinking, which is why they really need to just bring it back to the only thing they can really manage quite effectively is just this shot right now. Now, getting back to your yep. question, though, because it is a great question. It's one that I have a lot of discussions with my juniors and their parents. College coaches are online all the time looking at their scores. They already know what these kids shoot in tournaments. So for the kids to be so preoccupied on score is a little silly because the coach isn't even going to come to look at them if it was just about score, right? They already know what it is. And so they already know who kind of they, they want and they don't want. And what they're really looking for, college coaches, what they're really looking for is they're looking for character. Um, I can assure you that college coaches, you better be shooting 65 about every round if you're going to have hissy fits out there anymore because the last thing a college stu- uh, coach wants to do is babysit. Um, they, they, uh, there's too many good players. And the ones that think that a bad attitude is going to get them, you know, a, a good into a really, really good school or a really good program, they're just fooling themselves. Um, a coach is far more interested in seeing a kid hit it in the water or out of bounds and seeing how that kid handles that adversity than they are with the, what they shoot on that given day. Fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, it is interesting. Because uh, they already know what, what they're I shooting score-wise. They Right, right, exactly. And, and you know, I think from the parents' perspective, too, I think a lot of parents don't understand, um, you know, they're sometimes working their kids to, to death. You know, the kid wants to yeah. get into college. They want to, you know, get on the golf team. What would you say if you were having a conversation, if you had the parents here, um, what advice would you give them? Because yeah. I think that's important as well to, 
to throw in there because I think a lot of parents sometimes just get a little bit over anxious and and uh, you know they want their child sure. to do well and they want their child to be successful but a lot of times they can get in the way and and next thing you know the kids you know they don't understand why the kids packing up the clubs and he's not playing anymore uh you know he or she so what yeah. would you what conversation would yeah. you have with the parents well it's interesting because because there was some research that came out several years ago and i i was i was speaking with a group a couple groups up in canada a couple a couple of falls ago and um, somebody brought up the, the research that said that the biggest reason that juniors quit golf is the car ride home after a tournament and basically getting grilled from mom and dad. You know, why did you hit that shot? Why, why did you, why did you, and, and when the kid just needs the space to kind of settle down, they're getting grilled or they're talking about it or whatever. I found that very interesting and in that, you know, um, that, uh, well-intentioned parents, and again, totally no finger-pointing here at all. The thing that I would suggest, <laughs> though, that most parents and coaches could do would be to ask the question, how can I help you, rather than to assume that they know what's better for the kid. Because think about this. We can only perceive the way we perceive based upon where we're at uh, emotionally. Again, we get back to the emotions. When you are in a good mood, you're in a much better chance of being receptive to feedback than when you're already pissy and upset over, you know, over a really bad round of golf. You're not in a good mood. And, and I don't know about you, Ted, but the last thing I would want would, any, would be anybody in my face, if, if, and I still compete a little bit, and if I've had a bad day, I just need you know, right. a little time to lick my wounds. And last thing I would want is somebody right. in my face saying, you know, that was really a bonehead decision you made back there on number three. I don't understand it. Yeah, and yet it's what kind of what happens, and and not just parents, but with coaches too. So I, I think I think in genuinely meaning, you know, how how hey pal, how can I help you? You know, you need some space. Great, let me give you some space. Do you, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about it. But uh, you you know too, and you uh, you probably heard this, but and I, and I love this is that golf is the only sport where there's more teachers than students. And, and it certainly right. lends to, you know, there's a lot of people out there that want to offer a lot of unsolicited advice. And I guess as a peak performance yep. coach, I'd say that, that in my opinion, I just think that's the absolute worst thing we can do. You wait to be asked for help. And yeah. You know, for what you know. Yeah. I, I, it, I always find it interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't go on that much. Um, you know, obviously when I'm promoting the shows and that I'm on social media to, you know, as I did with this show. Um, but what was always kind of interest was interesting was in a lot of the uh, social media forums, especially the golf forums, like on Facebook, uh, you know, you will see somebody will, will post something and then about 35 to 40 people will jump on giving every imaginable scenario, you, <laughs> you know, for that particular topic. Yeah. And it's not that right, they're soliciting. Right. Uh, they're just saying, Hey, you know, blah, 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 whatever the, the case may be, and everybody's got to chime in. And right. the next thing you know, within about 10 minutes, they're, they're fighting and feuding. Right. And what they don't understand right. uh, is that it's not just fellow golf professionals that are watching these forums. There's also some potential students out there. And if they see that, oh, you know, it's, it's yeah. a drag down, you know, uh, chest beating, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's not good for the business and you're exactly right if it's not solicited then then don't uh you know don't throw your two cents in and uh it, it's not an easy thing to do sometimes as as human beings 
but um, but you're exactly right. And and parents the same thing. Yeah, parents the same thing. When their child, if their child wants to play, uh, you know, certainly encourage them, and and as you suggested, ask how they can help. But then back off a little bit and let them, because what ends up yeah. happening is that there's yeah. so much pressure, and you know hormonally at that age too, you know, the, all cylinders are firing. <laughs> yeah, we haven't and, even, haven't and, even and, talked and you know about that, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And and so they're already very emotional. And now you've got a parent who, in even though they don't always come out and say it, the child obviously wants to impress their parents. They want them to, to make them proud. Sure. And if you've got a, a, a parent that is constantly uh, criticizing um you know every move that they make suddenly the you know the child decides that hey that's i just i can't deal with this and you know right. maybe a good career is 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 gone by the wayside uh, i want to move on and i want to ask you uh this is really sort of a final question but it'll probably take you a few minutes because there's different components to it um you've obviously developed a, a very effective mind coaching uh, you've actually uh, put together uh, a, a number of stages in, in your process, and I want to read them out, and then I, I want you to sort of walk us briefly through a little bit on each step. Um, you, you talk about step one is, is sort of developing that emotional stability. Uh, and step two, you yes. talk about proactively assessing states of peak performance. And the third step, of course, is the mastery of self-coaching. Walk us through a little bit of, on each stage uh, of that uh, of that coaching uh, strategy that you've put together and and explain to people what you're talking yeah. about and and effectively what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, there was, yeah. Thanks for asking. It, it the first stage is really about it's about getting the volatility out, and so it's getting some stability in. Um, uh, if, if again, kind of what we alluded to a little earlier in the show is all if all they're doing. Uh, it's almost like Pavlov's dog, where you ring the bell and the dog salivates. If all if all somebody does is is hit hit a shot and slam a club and hit a shot and slam a club and hit a shot, um, I, I jokingly say sometimes, I swear I've got some mini tour players who have probably hit a million balls and 999,000 of them have been from an angry state of mind. Um, you we've really right. got a pattern going there. So, so, and the great thing is though, is that they realize on some level uh, that that's just a behavior that has to go away. And the thing is, Ted, is they just don't know how they, they're just so used to getting upset and, and really even as juniors, they were never even taught another way. It, it, we, we don't really, um, it's funny, isn't it? How even in colleges and high schools and whatever, it's it's quite interesting that if I hit a bad shot and I don't show you that I'm upset, if I was to just remain calm and detached with an attitude of let's go, I'd be really be the weird one out there. And that's tough for them to do right. as opposed to I'm just going to, you know, I need to behave like everybody else does, even if it's not helping me. So, so the first stage is really, <laughs> it's a process a lot of times can take anywhere from six months to a year of where we're really getting that, you know, that, um, that uh, uh, volatility out of there, or I would I would dare say, flip side of that coin is there can also be a lot of lethargy that they're not really engaging enough in it. See, the, in the world of energy, we're either we're either generally we're either generally too wound up or or we don't have enough energy in the process, and so that first you know half year to year is really spent developing. Um, uh, skills where we tap into what you, basically how a student is wired, 
and then make that assessment of okay, this is this is kind of what we 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 need to do. So we we really work to during that that initial period in terms of of accessing emotions on purpose. Like right now, for example, Ted, if I was to say to you, okay, could you just take a breath right now and feel a feeling of confidence for no good reason at all? And that it would be that simple and yet that difficult for a lot of them to do because they'd tie it right, right back into golf. So that's the, that's the initial stage right. that we do is it's really emotional stability. From there, it turns into then we get into more into how it is done for every shot. And we get really, really fine tuning into the whole process so that if it's breaking down, where is it breaking down? Is it breaking down before they get to the course? Is it breaking down in the pre-shot routine? Is it breaking down during the swing itself? Um, is there a level of acceptance of the shot afterwards? So, so we keep fine-tuning, fine-tuning, and then, you know, before long, really, uh, it just gets into where they're self-coaching. And so this is not this is very different than, I, I would say, a traditional psychological approach, uh, sports psychology, where, you know, we go in every week and I just sit down and tell you about my golf woes or whatever. It's kind of a different process than that in that right. we really keep it very proactive. And and then they begin the process of self-coaching. And really at that point in time, with me, it's just an occasional, It's more, we, we've, we've become friends by that point. It's just an occasional conversation every month or two or whatever, you know, five or ten, hey, how's it going? Good. Anything going on? I need, no, nah, not really doing good. Just need to, you know, deepen my breath a little bit or get my eyes a little more focused or something like that so that, you know, at that point in time, they've really gained a lot of mastery in the game. And um, uh, so those are really the, the three steps to the process. Well, and, and, and step number three ultimately is, is what you, you want to achieve with the students because you want to get them to that point. Absolutely. Because it's not like they can, you know, it, it's not like they can in the middle of a tournament, if they're faced with a situation, say, can you hang on one second? I've got to give Tim Kramer a call. And then I'll come right back on the, on the putting surface here. You know, you know, yeah, right. I mean, exactly. they've got to be able, right. they've got to be able to assess what's going on yes. and then they've got to, yes. you know, through their experiences and, and so forth, be able to, to make an informed decision because it, it's literally instantaneous. It's not like they're going to sit there for an hour, but um, they've got oh, to be yeah. able to adapt very quickly. So not having they do. that skill They set. recognize the triggers. Right. Yeah, we look – I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we look at the triggers and, no. and what – you know, is, is there a shot that triggers it? And if it is, then we'll work on that to get it so it's not a hot button anymore. And, yeah, and, and you know, as you know, too, they'd be struggling with their drivers, and then all of a sudden, man, driving the ball great, but it moves right into their iron play or their short game or this or – so it's the same mind – finding different problems in different areas. So that's why we just keep chipping away at it until pretty soon. If they're really, you know, Ted, if somebody who's really committed to this process really believes that, that, that it is doable, we make great success. Somebody with a bad mood right. or a bad attitude is just, they're never going to get this stuff. And, and that's okay too. And it, again, no judgment on my part. Not everybody's ready for this work. Yeah, and, there, and it there is. There will it's a process. always be. It, there will you know, always. Go ahead. No, you're. It, it's a process. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a process. I mean, they have to spend as much time on this area um, uh, as they would going out and working on the physical part of their game. In fact, probably more so because, uh, you know, as I said earlier in the program uh, when the panel was here, you know, 
if you wanted as a player, do you want to re- be remembered for the the trophies that you hoisted up at the end of the day, or do you want to be remembered as the best ball striker who never won a tournament? And you know, right. I think it's it's right. I mean, you know, as a player, I mean, there's a lot of them that focus on certain key issues to the point where it actually cripples them. Uh, and, and certainly you've got to be a, a good ball striker, as you mentioned earlier. I mean, a lot of the, the elite players, when you walk down the range, I mean, they're all, you know, might have different styles and different swings and so forth. But essentially, you know, they've got ball striking down pretty well. But it's what's going in between the ears that's going to decide who's going to win at the end of the game or at the end of the tournament. And so a lot of people, even amateurs, need to understand that in order to be a better player, it's not just about spending time on the range hitting the perfect shot or trying to hit the perfect shot. It's about developing a strategy and course management that's going to help you when you get on the golf course because, uh, you know, as I also mentioned earlier, you know, you might hit shot after shot on the driving range, but when you get out on the golf course, those shots that you've been working on, uh, especially if it's the same shot, you might only come across twice in in 18 holes. So if you're not sort of practicing, Right. right? Right. right, and that's essentially what happens with a lot of people. But, yeah, what you're talking about, I agree with. I think that a lot of people just have to focus on on what's going on upstairs, um, and not just so much what what they can do out in the driving range. Um, well, it's you interesting. Know, Tim, what's interesting? Go ahead, please. No, you go ahead. Okay, I was going to say what's interesting is that you know, to me, the intangible. Um, and 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 I, I currently coach a college football t- uh, team, and and they're just they're awesome. I I love these guys. But we talk about this, and you know, it's not who wants it more. I really don't think it's who wants it more. I think it's who believes it more. And I think belief is the intangible. It you know we can measure a golf swing now very specifically. In fact, we do we do a great right. job of that. You know we can we can measure how much you're turning and where the club face is coming in from and all that great stuff. And again, really really helps a lot. But but the intangible that we're never going to be able to measure is we can't measure belief. And to me, the ability to stand in front of a golf shot before it, tap into a feeling of belief in the pre-shot routine, and then not lose that feeling afterwards is, is hands down. The one intangible we'll never measure, probably arguably the most difficult thing we'll ever do. And, and it's why yeah. we keep returning to the swing with the idea that if my swing just gets good enough, I'll hit better shots mm-hmm. and my mind will be in good shape. And unfortunately it just never works that way for very long because we can't sustain ball striking for that long. And then, you know, that's why we're up, down, up, down. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I remember uh, a conversation that I had on uh, not this show, but uh, on my Tuesday morning shows, the women of golf. And we talked about this very thing. And one of the guests brought up an interesting uh, discussion about Annika Sorenstam uh, some years back when she was still playing competitively, and I think it was uh, when just before she won the U.S. Open. And one of the things that she was struggling with was on the golf course. She was thinking about nothing but uh, you know every single shot, and really wasn't clearing her mind, you know, for basically four and a half hours, and it was just right. mentally draining her. And oh, and it was suggested yeah. to her. Right. It, w- it would suggest that nobody, you know, certainly anybody human, can't go four and a half hours 
and think nothing but you know, course management and strategy the whole way. You've got to have a little bit of a breather. So it was suggested to her at that particular time, she had, uh, I think, recently um, moved into her house and she was planning on doing some renovations. And it was suggested to her, you know, why don't you think about what you're going to do with the kitchen, you know, in between shots. Right. And long story short, fast forward it, um, she did just that and started thinking about things. And then, of course, when she got back up to the ball, she, you know, her, her singular vision, if you will, got back on the task at hand hit the shot that she needed sure. to hit and then started working on her kitchen, sure. you know, to the next shot. And what was interesting was sure. that strategy actually worked for her and she ultimately went on to win the U S open uh, at that particular time. Sure. So, uh, you know, that's really something that I think a lot of people, as you said, you know, if they keep going back to the shot all the time, uh, it, it's going to work against them at some point. Well, and, and what I'd like to say, too, is that in, in the example you gave with Annika, certainly it points to the, you know, a lot of what the research is showing us now is that, is that and it gets back into this world of energy, but that the body, the body just wants to feel ease and flow. And so it does not care what you're thinking about. If you're thinking about something pleasant, it's relaxing into the state of peak performance that we want. So you can be, you know, in between shots, you could be thinking about your puppy. You could be thinking about, you know, really anything pleasurable that you want, and that would be a greater gift to you than trying to grind it out for four and a half hours just thinking about golf, but all you're doing is getting so uptight that you're just locking everything up. So that's kind of yeah. that's kind yeah, of the, exactly. the rationale behind that. That that yes, and then when it is when it is showtime for the shot, you, you do have to have that ability to turn it on and turn it off. But boy, when it's off time, find anything you can think about, you know, just to be happy. It might be looking at a cloud. It might be looking at the grass. It might be having a chuckle with somebody. But just avoid negative, toxic conversations or thoughts at all at all expenses. And 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 then again. Time for the next shot. Let's go. Here we go. Get in the routine. Hit the shot. Let's go. Boom. Done. Time to time to relax and chill again. And um, uh, y- you know, it's uh, it's it's a rare bird that can do that. Yeah. And you know, jokingly, people used to look at Freddie Couples. You know, when he was walking around the golf course, it was like he was going for a walk in the right. park. And obviously, you know, right. he was. Uh, momentarily taking his mind out of the game and literally in his mind, he probably was going for a walk in the park and that's why he was always a very calm, uh, you know, sort of a carefree player. And, and people thought, well, you know, sure. he didn't seem very serious on the golf course. Well, he, he didn't want to be serious right. on the golf course and, you know, he, he's had right. a very successful career. Unfortunately, you know, his back has, has been his demon, if you will, but, um, but he is, he's sure. always been a very calm and relaxed, player and uh, another one comes to mind is Ernie Els same thing very yeah, you know uh, relaxed sure. you know and they're they're great examples well Tim I want to thank you very much for, for it's been great to, to sort of catch up and and uh, and have you back on the show you've certainly been missed uh, I've always enjoyed having you on here and uh, I hope oh, I thanks, can Ted. twist yeah, your arm and get you to come back again you would not have to twist hard and, and uh, always a pleasure with you too and nothing but the best to you and your wonderful show and um and uh, yeah, it, it, I know you just keep getting interesting guest after interesting guest, and 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 what's always kind of fun is where you know our passion for this game and helping people to improve. That's right. Um, well, Tim, just very quickly, let the folks know if they want to learn more about uh, peak performance mind coaching, where they can go to get information, and how they can reach out to you. 
Yeah, that, thanks. Um, yeah, we just go onto the website at peakperformancemindcoaching.com, and uh, all the links are there, and uh, we've got a few books that are, are pretty, pretty good, I think, uh, with some skills and drills and things like that. We're actually be coming out with a new book uh, maybe by the end of this year, and uh, very, very excited about that, and uh, just with some actually some tangible skills in terms of of, uh, of mind coaching, I'll certainly pass along a copy of that to you. And um, but yeah, would love Perfect. to hear from anybody. And of course, we're on this uh, we're on social media too. And uh, uh, but um, uh, all good stuff. And uh, and then the other thing I would plug too is that uh, I really have a passion for going to uh, to some of the private courses and just working with a handful of ten to fifteen, twenty students, and and really um, showing them that the mind game is very tangible. It's not just this ethereal. Right. Um, abstract, conceptual kind of thing. We actually do some very, very, very highly tangible uh, skills, and so in terms of focusing techniques. So uh, we're not just, you know, we're not just keeping this in the uh, in the the realm of vocabulary at this point. No, I agree, and it's uh, it's also, as you put it, uh, helps you to access your peak mind states not only for uh, greater success, greater success in sports, business but also in life. So well said. Um, I would definitely love a copy of the book. And Tim, when the, when the book gets a little bit closer to being released, let me know. And I will have you back on the show if you want to. to yeah, that would be great. And yeah, also absolutely. I would like to, yeah, for sure. And I definitely like to extend, and I'll talk to you a little bit um, later about this, but um, I've had a few requests, if you will, uh, from some of the uh, guys on the Coach's Corner panel um, that would love to maybe have you come on and, and be a special guest panelist. Uh, and, and join in and, and actually, um, you know, maybe come up with some, some great uh, conversation uh, on what you talk about uh, with some of your uh, fellow professionals out there, and they would love to have you on the panel. So we'll maybe get you uh, on that as well sure. uh, when, it's convenient, when it's convenient for you next year. So, um, Tim, thank you for joining me tonight in Golf Talk Live. It's been great catching up and uh, much continued success. And, again, please let me know when the book comes out. Uh, of course, Ted. Thank you again, as always, and uh, always my pleasure to, to spend some time with you. All right, perfect. Have a great evening. I'll talk to you soon. You too. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Tim Kramer, of course, the president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, uh, LLC. And again, if you go to peakperformancemindcoaching.com, is his website, and all of his contact information there uh, is uh, available right handy. And you can also... As he mentioned, he's got a couple of books on there. You can just search through the tabs, and you'll come across those, and, and uh, you can uh, order a copy. And also, he's got some great information. And I forgot to ask him this, but I know he still does uh, his thought of the day. Uh, I believe he sends it out in, uh, on Twitter every day. And uh, always some very good nuggets and tidbits there, so you definitely want to check that out. And uh, I believe you can also subscribe to his email uh, list as well and, and get some uh, information sent directly to your inbox. So you might want to do that as well. Um, again, special thanks to the Coach's Corner panel tonight, John Decker and Pete Buchanan. Uh, Pete and John, thank you very much for always bringing your best to the Coach's Corner uh, segment. And uh, also, again, to Tim Kramer for uh, uh, coming on and having a great conversation. Uh, on that note, I will see you next week with another great round of Coach's Corner and another insightful guest. Be sure to tune in next Thursday here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great week.